All right. Thank you, Cal. I appreciate it. All right. Ready to wrap things up. Session eight in a series that we've been titled Victory in Spiritual Warfare. A couple of things before we get started. You know, if, if you've lived long enough, you know that your life is a battleground. You know, if you live long enough, you know that your life is not always easy. You know, sometimes or most times we cherish those times of fun and play, but we dread those times of, of pain and, and struggle. And Paul is, is writing, talking about the battleground of life called spiritual warfare. And if you remember back in, in way back in session number one, we talked about spiritual warfare and what that was. And spiritual warfare is the battle, if you remember, it's the battle in the unseen that's responsible for the battle in the seen. And we need to take our fight to the spiritual realm. And Paul gives us, and God gives us, these specific pieces that we've been talking about the last six weeks to stand firm in the midst of these battles. So as we wrap things up tonight, the title of this is, Put on the Full Armor of God. So we've been dealing with this slide for the past eight weeks. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, or 10 through 18. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for the feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, this is the armor that God tells us to put on because we're in a spiritual battle. We've been spending the last six weeks going over all these right here. Now it's time to put everything together. On the left-hand side, remember, these are the ones that you're supposed to put on daily. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. On the right-hand side, in these specific situations, it says take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, our memory verse, our scripture memory, comes from just verse 18, which I just read. It says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all saints. Now, before we move on, before we move on, I wanted you to I want to remind you of this very first principle that we had of spiritual warfare and I just mentioned that whatever you're dealing with today whatever's troubling you whatever is plaguing you in this physical realm is stemming from the spiritual realm now if we don't address and take the fight to this spiritual realm 
we can't get the cure. So this battle in our battle, the spiritual battle, begins in the spiritual realm. Now, if, if you want to access victory, if you want to walk in victory, you must address the physical spiritually. If you don't address the physical spiritually, you're going to continue to kind of feel the effects of the physical realm. Now, Paul is going to give us the secret to this. He's going to give us the secret to this of how we can address the physical spiritually in verse 18. Now, Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God, but he goes into the next step in the process of spiritual warfare. In verse 18, it says, Praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul's talking about prayer. He's talking about prayer. Paul is emphasizing that when it comes to spiritual battle, to spiritual warfare, prayer is essential. Now, when you read verse 18, prayer or pray or petition, it's mentioned several times in there. And prayer, because prayer is our communication to God. Prayer gives us strength. Prayer gives us direction every day. It's just along with the armor of God that, that God gives us, and Paul talks about right there, it's just another spiritual weapon that we have in our arsenal. So Paul right here is talking about prayer. Now let me read you a story that I got about prayer from David Jeremiah. It says, A mother got a call from school saying that her young daughter was ill. She hurried to pick up her child and called the doctor to schedule an appointment, but the doctor's schedule was overbooked. He could see her the following day, and in the meantime recommended an over-the-counter medication to ease her symptoms. So the mother tucked her little girl in the bed and drove to the pharmacy, bought the medicine, hurried back to the car, only to realize that she had left her keys in the ignition and locked herself out. When she called her daughter to explain why it was going to take her a little bit longer to get home, the little girl said, find a coat hanger. The little girl said, I seen it on TV. You undo the coat hanger, stick the hanger inside the window, push the button, unlock the door, and you can, you can be home in no time. So the mother went back in the store and got a wire hanger. And she made the attempt to open the door, but she couldn't. She couldn't figure it out. So she was frustrated and prayed to God, Lord, I don't know what to do. My keys are locked in this car. My little girl is sick. I'm here with this stupid coat hanger. Please send me somebody. She finished the prayer, and this car pulled up at the curb, and a man got out of the car. He had a rough look to him, looking like he hadn't shaved for days. And she thought, here's God's answer. So she said, sir, can you help me? He said, what's the problem? She told him the story about the little girl being sick, uh, sick and locking the, her keys in the car. She said, I've got this coat hanger, but I don't know what to do with it. He said, lady, let me have your coat hanger. After handing the coat hanger and inserting the hanger inside the window, he opened the door. The mother was overwhelmed with joy, thanking him for opening the door. She, she hugged him and hugged him and said, you're a good man several times. You're a good man. You're a good man. He said, ma'am, I'm no good man. I just got out of prison this morning. As he left, she said, thank you, Lord. You sent me a professional. I was like, that is... That is so, God answers prayers in unexpected ways. Prayer is a key, guys. Make prayer part of your life. Now, in my Bible, that verse 18 is 27 words. In other translations, maybe it's 24, 25, 26. But Paul discusses in this verse that it's one of the most important passages about prayer in the Bible. Now, we're going to go through 
verse 18 and kind of divide this thing up because Paul is going to walk us through this to give us some specific things about prayer. So verse 18, it says, praying at all times. What does that mean? It means we are to be in constant contact with God, being a continual mode of prayer. Keep that channel open between us and Him. It's like an offensive coordinator in football. They're way up there in the booth, way up there in the press box, overlooking the field. He's in constant contact with the quarterback on the field or constant contact with the head coach on the field. That's what we need to do with God at all times. We need to keep praying at all times. We need to keep knocking on the door. We need to keep seeking. We need to keep asking. Now, Paul, in verse 18, when he says to pray at all times, he's actually using a Greek term called kairos. And kairos means opportune. So what he's telling us right here, specifically telling us to pray at opportune times, pray at specific times in relation to the evil day. Now, if you remember what the evil day was, it's when all heck is breaking loose in your life. It's when attack, Satan is constantly attacking you. Those spiritual battles that Satan is throwing at you. He says to pray when these battles is in your face. Pray at all times. The next, he said praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, it's the Holy Spirit that drives our prayers. It's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Let the Holy Spirit intercede. And in Romans 20, uh, Chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to the will of God. Tony Evans says that if we could truly grasp all that happens in the invisible realm in response to our prayers, prayer would be a top priority in our lives. We've got to make prayer a lifestyle. As we go on, he said, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Now, what does that mean? Supplication means to ask with all prayer, everything in prayer. Make a petition to God. Make your request known to God. Prayer works when we ask. A lot of Christians, a lot of people struggle with this, with this issue in their life because they don't know what to ask. What, the, what should you ask? Well, James 4.2 tells us, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. If you need something, ask for it. Ask for what you need. The next, it says, keep alert. Now, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul transitions from talking about the armor of God to prayer. Now he's kind of mentioning some some more military language, more military lingo when it says to keep alert. What does that really mean? It means to pray with our spiritual eyes open. Why should we pray with our spiritual eyes open? Well, it says in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour so the enemy, Satan, wants to attack you with these distractions and doubts and temptations so that you won't pray. Satan and his demons will try everything that they can to try to stop you. 
Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you pray, maybe, maybe it's in the morning or whenever, or when you're doing your quiet time, that a number of distractions will show up. As, as, as I was studying this this morning, there was distraction after distraction after distraction showing up. Notice that Satan and his demons will try everything to stop you. Prayer with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Perseverance means pray when you don't feel like praying. Pray for each other. Reciprocal prayer. When we pray for each other, everybody in the body of Christ is praying for everybody else. Pray together and pray for one another. Through that type of prayer, what does it do? God builds you up and strengthens those around you. So even when you don't feel like it, push on. Pray when you don't feel like praying. Now, if we can't remember, there's a, there's a lot of, of, of things that's been thrown at you these last six weeks. And maybe you can't remember all these six pieces. Maybe, when, maybe you're saying, when I'm attacked or when I'm in a spiritual battle, I can't remember some of these six pieces. Romans 13, this is an easy one right here. Romans 13, 14 says, put on Christ, because why? And I'm going to tell you why and give you some scripture. Because Jesus is the full armor of God. Now let me tell you, and let me tell you the verses that we can relate that Jesus is the full armor of God. If we talk about the belt of truth, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If we talk about the breastplate of righteousness in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin over our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of of God in Him. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about the shield of faith. We're talking about Hebrews 12.2. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we talk about the helmet of salvation, that's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And lastly, if we talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the Holy Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. In Jesus you have truth. In Jesus you have righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why Paul tells us if we can't remember some of these pieces in Romans 13 14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ now as we wrap things up putting on the armor the armor of God has been completely supplied for you 
But what a waste. What a waste to have all this armor and not use it. You have new clothes. You have a new belt, a breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and a sword. Because Satan and his demons is coming after you in this new realm. Satan and his demons is making it their mission to come after you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But you have this armor that you can put on to defend that. Your victory has been completely provided. Remember, God doesn't dress you in this armor. For example, if I bought Corey a new dress or new clothes, something nice to wear, but she didn't wear it, it wouldn't do any good, even though that it was completely supplied for. Your victory has been completely provided. And with the armor of God, and we talked about these battles that you, that you should take right there in that spiritual realm, you'll be able to handle the physical realm and whatever Satan throws at you in the spiritual. And when you operate according to the authority that's given to you in the heavenly realm, you can overcome his because Satan, 1 John 4, 4 says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Satan is coming at you. But 1 John 1, or 1 John 4, 4 says, For he who is in the world, or he is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. It's 5.50 right now. We're going to break for a couple of minutes and we're going to come back and finish it up with the video. And now it's time for rubber to meet the road. It's time not just to visualize the armor, but actualize the armor. This armor is to be used, not just to be known. No matter what you are facing, no matter what attack you are under, whether it's your relationship at home in your marriage, whether it's an addiction of drugs or gangs or pornography or anger or gambling, whether it's uncontrollable spending and debt, no matter what the attack is, the armor is designed to address it. The six pieces of armor that God has provided you has guaranteed victory because victory has already been won. So God is just waiting for you to take it, grab it, and use it. And you know you're using it when an action is attached to it. Once you act on what each armor means, you will experience God's power giving you the victory he's already granted you. One of the toughest things for God to get his people to do is to look at life and live life from the spiritual frame of reference and not from the reference point of the five senses. He has given us equipment with which to do that. He comes to verse 18 in Ephesians 6 and he says, with all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. I want you to notice how many times the word or a synonym for prayer is used in that short segment. All prayer and petition. Pray. 
comes to the end of it. Petition for all the saints. Beginning of verse 19. And pray. He closes out this segment with a call to prayer of the sermon today, putting on the armor. How do you put on the armor? How do you wear what God has given us for victory? How do we grab it, get it, hold on to it? And he tells you in verse 18 and following, he says, the answer is prayer. Now the question is, what is it? We talk about prayer, we speak about it, we do it. But I want to take us a little deeper to make sure we understand it. Because when you understand prayer, it changes that you pray, how you pray, whether you pray, and your expectations having prayed. For far too many people, even Christians, prayer is like the national anthem before a football game or baseball game. It gets the game started but has absolutely no relevance to what's happening on the field. It is an exercise in um, habit. Most of us, for example, when we pray before we eat, really don't need our minds to do that. Because it's going to be the same thing we say every day. Lord, bless this food and nourish it to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us really don't need our minds when we go to bed. If we're tired, you know, bless me, bless my family, give me a good night's sleep, you know, protect me during the night, wake me up tomorrow, in Jesus' name, amen. It is carrying forth an expectation and a routine without meaning. For many of us, prayer is like um, a spare tire. We want it there in case we really need it. But if we don't need it, as long as it's back there somewhere and we can whip it out, particularly in an emergency, then we need it. But I want to explain what Paul wants to explain, which is why he uses it so many times in this verse, coming at the end of this section. Because if you understand prayer in the context of this section, it will change whether you pray and in fact how you pray and it will change what you get when you pray. Simply defined, I would like to define prayer as earthly permission for heavenly interference. Earthly permission for heavenly interference. It is earth giving heaven permission to interfere or to intervene in what is happening in my world of reality from the spiritual point of view. Prayer is giving heaven permission to intervene. Now, that raises the question, why does heaven need permission? Why, why must I, I give heaven permission? There's a whole theology behind this, but to sum it up, you have to understand how God organized the world to work. He organized the world to work through people. Therefore, when he created Adam and Eve, he said, let them rule. So God has given us rulership over the earth. And he joins us when invited to do so. In other words, there are certain things God's going to do because, you know, he's God and he can do it. But there are many things and maybe even most things that God does not intervene on unless requested. Because he wants to know you want him. You need him, desire him, and have expectations of him. And so he does not intervene or participate unless requested to do so. 
Because God has given you and me and the human right the right to leave him out. You can leave him out. You can, you can put him on the shelf. You can act independently of him. Let me explain something. Prayer doesn't make God do anything. Okay? Prayer doesn't force him, cajole him. If God doesn't plan to do it, I don't care how much you pray about it. Prayer does not force God's hand. But what prayer does is it calls on God to intervene in ways he wants to intervene anyway, but won't do it until requested to do so. What I'm trying to say is when Paul says to pray, he is not just saying have, have these general meaningless, repetitious, empty conversations and think that because you threw God's name out, it was something significant. He says what makes it significant is you understand what prayer is. It is earthly permission for heavenly interference predicated on the fact that this is what heaven intended to do. Prayer, let me put it another way. Your problem is in heavenly places. Prayer takes you there. Prayer is the human means of entering in to the supernatural realm in order to utilize the armor. When you look back at Ephesians chapter 6, and you look at the last piece of armor before he even talks about prayer, notice what it is. He says that we are to use the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. In other words, the best way to pray is when you throw God's word back at him. Let me put it another way. If you don't know what God has said, or you don't know what to expect from God, then you will pray vague prayers, you will pray empty prayers, and the armor won't seem to work because you're not connecting it with the spiritual realm in which it operates. He says, I want you to make contact with God. Flesh and blood. See, we, we, we spend all of our time talking to men about God and very little time talking to God about men. We spend a lot of time talking up to and about our circumstances. We'll talk on the phone. We'll talk to people who usually can't solve our problem. We're looking for sympathy. And so we talk to folks who can sympathize with us. But what you need are answers, not sympathy. What you need is heaven to invade earth. When you throw God's stuff back at him in a thing called prayer, you're not making God do something. You are simply receiving by faith what he's already planned to do. That changes the power of prayer. You know, we've got, we've, got, um, we've got radio and TV signals all around us. All around us, there are signals. There are signals in the, in the air. Right here in this building, there are radio waves and there are TV signals, and they're all around us. But we're not hearing any music. And we're not seeing anything on the, on the TV screen. Now, I'm talking about this one. I'm talking about the wave TV screen. Okay? We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not doing that. Why? Because we don't have anything right now to pull it down. Even if you don't have a radio and don't have a television, the waves are still operating. They're still all over the place. They're still surrounding us. But the, the lack of something to grab it and receive it and bring it to the physical keeps you from knowing it's there. God is moving. God is all over the place. The spiritual realm is totally surrounding you right now. There are angels in this room. There are demons in this room. That The invisible realm is all over you right now. You just can't see it. And you can't feel it until you draw it down. Okay? Until you draw it down. And so, so what he is saying is prayer is the means of contacting the invisible spiritual realm and bringing it down to the visible physical realm and that is the way you engage the armor and put the armor to work. Now let's look at what he says here 
in chapter 6. He says, with all prayer and partition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, watch this. He says, pray at all times. There are two Greek words for time. Kronos and kairos. Kronos is simply time in general. It's seconds to minutes, minutes to hours, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years. That's chronos. That's just time. General time. We, we exist in time and we exist linearly in time. Time moves forward. That's chronos. It's just the general concept of time. But chronos is not the word for time here. The Greek word for time here is, 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 is kairos. That has to do with a specific, specified time. If I say, Kairos, if I say, I'm going to meet you at 12 o'clock, that's not time in general. That's time specific. That's a certain time, a specific time. And if I tell you I'm going to meet you at 12 o'clock, you know what that means? There's a reason why we're meeting. Because if I, if I make an appointment, that means I'm meeting you for a purpose. So it is a specific time, an opportune time, or an appointed time. Kairos is the word used here, not chronos. When he says, I want you to pray at all times, he's not talking about 24 hours a day, you having this uh, verbal conversation with God. He's talking about all opportune times, all specific times, all appointed times. That's what the word means. Why would he be using kairos instead of chronos? There's a chronos concept, pray without ceasing. That is always stay in communication with God. But that's not what he says here. He says, I want you to pray at all kairos times, appointed times, scheduled times, opportune times, specific times. Why is he being so specific when he talks about your communication with God here? Because of the context in which this discussion about prayer occurs. It occurs in a context of spiritual warfare. It occurs in the context of putting on spiritual armor. And notice the real context that it occurs in, in verse 13, take on the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. He's talking about the evil day. That's the day when all hell breaks loose. That's the day when you feel like you're going to lose your mind. That's the day when nothing's going right. That's the day when you, you are, you, you're just not going to make it. That's the day when you wonder, how am I going to get through another day? Because you're under attack. Some days you don't go through that. Some days the day is fine and you may have a little thing go wrong here and a little thing go wrong there. But overall, life is good and life is, life is going okay. But you and I know some days are not like that. Some days it looks like the devil's riding your back. Looks like everywhere you turn, something is going wrong. It looks like every direction you look in, God is invisible and is nowhere to be found. That's the evil day. That's the day when evil has descended upon you, trying to own you, dominate you, and dictate to you. He says on that day, at that time, when you're under that kind of attack, you need this kind of prayer. Because that day demands the armor of God be worn by you in all of God's power brought to bear on your circumstances. What he is calling for is specific prayer concentrated prayer, Elijah kind of prayer, where you have to throw God's stuff back up at him so that he can re-intervene into your circumstances. One of the reasons we don't see God show up is that we don't earnestly talk to God when we need him. We got these vague prayers that we've been saying for 25 years, okay? But let me tell you something about when all hell breaks loose. When all hell breaks loose, you have a unique ability to get specific. See, when everything's going, right, going well, it's easy to be general. You know, thank you, Lord, for blessing me, you know. 
But when all hell breaks loose, you got specific stuff jacking you up. You've got specific things that are causing you headaches and heartaches and life aches. And he's calling you in those specific times. That is the time to call on God and he says how you are to do it. He says you are to call on him in the spirit. In the spirit. Let me say it another way. You are to call on him spiritually. You are to call on him spiritually. Now, there's the opposite of spirit is flesh. So maybe if I say pray in the flesh and do the negative, you'll understand what he means by pray in the spirit. To pray in the flesh is simply to mouth words coming out of your humanity with no spiritual attachment to them. It is simply my humanity. It's, it's, it's generally how we say grace. Most prayers or many prayers when we say grace are prayers in the flesh. They're just routine things that we say because we know we're supposed to say grace before we eat with no spiritual attachment. That is, no spiritual connection to it. To pray in the spirit means that you're making a spiritual connection to the communication that you want to take place with God. Now, you can do that in a number of ways. You can quote scriptures in, in, in your prayer. Or you can take a principle of scripture and place it in front of God. See, when you tell God, God, remember you said, you would supply all my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I got this emergency situation going on right now. But the reason I'm talking to you is because you said that when I was in this, you said, I've never seen the righteous nor the seed begging bread. You said, you see, see, when you pray spiritually, because the Bible says God's words are spirit, and you bring spiritual truth into your conversation with God, you are now praying in the spirit. You are praying spiritually. You're not just playing fleshly or randomly or, or routinely or rotely. You are now calling on God, bringing the spirit to bear in the conversation. Now, let me tell you what happens when you pray spiritually. Turn to Romans chapter 8. This whole chapter is about the spirit of God, Romans chapter 8. And he wants us to know that the Spirit is at work. He says, let me look at a couple of verses. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth until now. So again, this childbirth thing, this groaning, this aching, this labor pain. He says, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Anybody here ever groan? In other words, because circumstances in life got you going, mm, oh, ah, life is hurting you and you're groaning, waiting eagerly for our redemption as sons and, and redemption of the body. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes us for us with groanings too deep for words. Now this is when you're groaning and don't know what to say. It's not got that bad. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints, watch this, according to the will of God. So what he says is when you bring what you know to be the will of God into the presence of God and you are groaning, the Holy Ghost groans with you. And because he knows how deep the problem is, how deep the need is, how bad the attack is, he comes alongside and helps a brother out, helps a sister out in your weak moment when you can't make it another day. But you bring spiritually into the presence of God, the Spirit takes over and he lifts you up in a way you cannot lift yourself up and neither can anybody you know lift you up. So why do you want to pray in the Spirit? You want to pray in the Spirit because he knows the territory. You want to pray in the Spirit because he knows what's happening up there in the invisible realm. He knows what the evil one is doing to you. He, he's calling you to pray in the Spirit. Let, let, me, show you, let me show you how... Um, 
how this thing works because I think this will help us in our prayer and make prayer more dynamic and more real instead of more rote and more boring. For many of us, uh, a prayer is a boring thing because we don't understand what's happening in the invisible. And if you understood what's happening in the invisible, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be boring anymore. So let me show you Daniel chapter 9. I know we're turning to a number of verses today, but I want you to understand this principle so that you and I can experience the power of prayer. Daniel chapter 9. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is a man after God's heart, and in Daniel chapter 9, Look at verse 2. Look at a number of verses. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book of, num of number of years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of the Jer Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay? So what is Jeremiah doing in verse 2? He's reading the Bible. Says he read the book of Jeremiah. Says he, he was reading the Bible and he observed something. He observed what the scripture says, verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. Okay. He read what God said, then he talked to God about it. Okay? So he found out the mind of God, the thoughts of God from the word of God, and then he talked to God about what God said. Okay, now you're praying in the spirit. Whenever you bring God's stuff back at him, you're praying in the spirit. So why do you want to study the Bible? Well, one is to know more about God, but the other is to throw God's stuff back up at him. He prays in the spirit, okay? Now, go down to verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain to my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, that's the angel, whom I had seen in the vision previously came to me in my extreme weariness, because he was tired, and the time of the evening offering, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. Wait a minute now. He read the word, then he talked to God about the word he read, then God sent an angel to say, let me help you understand some stuff. Because a lot of us could get through what we're going through if we just understood what was going on. But because, like Marvin Gaye, we just want to know what's going on, and we don't know what's really going on, we don't make the connection to what God says and our communication with God. Notice, he didn't send the angel to give him understanding about his situation until he prayed. But he didn't pray until he found out what God had to say. He found out what God had to say. He prayed. God sent a messenger to give him understanding. Look at verse 23. This is going to get good here in a minute. He says in verse 23, At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, a righteous man, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. All right, now watch this. He says, don't miss this. He says, when you prayed, the command was given for me to come. All right, watch this now. When you prayed, the command was given for me to come. Now turn to chapter 10. Verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me, set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words which I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. Notice, I came because of your words. But your words were tied to God's words. So when you brought your words, hooked them up to God's words, God sent me to talk to you about what you talked to God about. 
But watch this. But the prince of Persia, of the kingdom of Persia, was withstanding me for 21 days. Uh-oh. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princesses, Michael the archangel, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the provision, for the vision pertains to days yet future. All right, let me break this down. He said, he's reading the word, and God says something that grabs him. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah, and the words jump off the page. And he says, well, wait a minute. This applies to me. He then gets on his knees and talks to God about what he just read. So he's now in the spirit because he's bringing God to bear on the situation. Twice it says, on the day you prayed, God sent the answer. All right, watch this now. See, because there are a lot of people here wondering why God's taking so long. Uh, he told Daniel, your prayer was answered the very day you prayed it. Now, why was your prayer answered the day you prayed it? Because you're highly esteemed, you're a righteous man, and you're praying according to the word. When you're a righteous person praying according to the word, it doesn't take long for God to answer your prayer. In fact, he says, God answered it on the same day that you asked it. But there was a three-week delay. You and God answered it the same day, but it says it took me 21 days to deliver it to you. Now, let me tell you about God's post office. God's got a post office. He got some mailmen. These mailmen called angels, their job is to deliver the answer to you. Everybody's been assigned an angel who's a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've got an angel assigned to you, and that's your personal mailman. And that job, the job of that angel is to deliver God's answers to you. When you, based on the word, communicate with God in prayer, as a righteous person, you're just like Elijah, you're calling down from heaven on earth a need that heaven needs to address. But there was a three-week delay of the angel. Okay, Gabriel, why was there a three-week delay? There was a three-week delay because a demon showed up. He says the, the prince of Persia, that's a demon because he calls himself as an angel a prince. He says the, the, the demon over Persia, which is where you're living, the demon that's hovering around, hovering around where you're living was there and he blocked me as I was trying to deliver to you on the same day that you ask it, the demon, you see, unless you know what's happening in the invisible world, all you see is God's not answering my prayer in the visible world. He say, but Daniel, I want you to understand what's going on. This was a demon and the demon lived where you're living. The demon lived in your neighborhood. The demon lived in Persia, which is where you're living. Just like God has a post office to deliver your answer, hell has a post office to block the delivery. Hell wants to keep the delivery away. So now you got a battle between angels that's stopping you from getting the answer to your prayer. It's not that God hasn't answered your prayer. He answered it the day you prayed your prayer. But because there is a battle in the heavenlies, there is warfare in the spiritual realm, that's why that is the delay. So the question is not, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? It's how do we work out this spiritual warfare so the answer that you've given gets to me? He says, I was coming down and the, the demon of, or the prince of Persia that is set up to block the answer that I was to deliver to you, he blocked me. And we were rumbling for three weeks. But then God sent Michael, he big angel in charge, he sent Michael down to give a brother some help. 
And when he sent Michael down, now, if God had to call Michael, that means the demons were rough. So he has to call Michael. Michael and Gabriel double-teamed the dude, get him out of the way so that he could deliver the blessing. Now, here's why you got to keep praying. Don't keep praying to get God to answer. If it's based on his word and grace has already provided everything you're supposed to get, you don't keep praying to get God the answer. You are now praying for God to intervene to keep Satan from blocking the answer he's already given. So now you're praying in faith. When you pray according to God's word and you're calling on God according to his word, you don't have to ask him over and over and over and over again for the same thing. If it's according to his word, once you ask him sincerely, the rest of your prayers are thank you for answering, thank you for answering, thank you for answering because you already answered the day I delivered it. And the reason I got a delay is there's stuff going on in the spiritual world that's giving me my delay. It's not that God hasn't answered. God is good on his word. He's good on his promises. He can be dependent upon. So you keep praying because you're trying to break through the delivery that was already granted. And that's why you can spend time giving thanks because God answers when you ask based on his word. It's good stuff. This good stuff. This will make you want to pray. He says back in Ephesians, let me wind this up. He says back in Ephesians, all prayer, all time, all perseverance. And look at what he says. He says in verse 18, he says, here's what I want you to do. With this in view, be on alert. Be on alert. Translation, pray with your eyes open. Okay? Be, keep your eyes open. That's, that's what it means. Do, do you know most prayers in the Bible are not with eyes closed? I mean, we know that. We know we do that to kind of concentrate or to, to show reverence. But, but most of the time when people are praying, the Bible says, and they lifted their eyes. Okay? Eyes were open. Okay? He says, keep your eyes open. What are you keeping your eyes open for? Look, 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 at, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Keep your eyes open. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He says, the devil is trying to eat you up like a roaring lion. But a lot of people don't know when lions roar. Lions don't roar when they're coming up on their prey. Uh-uh, they don't roar then. Lions roar after they get their prey. It's when they get you, they are, they, they roar. In other words, it's their declaration of victory. They roar after the fact, not before the fact. You have to be on alert because they creeping up on you until they pounce on you. After they pounce on you and devour you, they roar because of the victory. He says, keep your eyes open when you pray because when you're calling down heaven, hell wants to block that. So keep your eyes open, that is spiritually open, to see what's going on around you. Because when you are talking to heaven, hell wants to block that. That is why so many times when you're trying to pray, distractions show up. So many times when you're trying to pray, you're sleepy. So many times when you're trying to pray, something pops up because the lion does not want you to interfere with his trying to block the answer from getting to you. And that's why you got to pray with your eyes open. That's why you got you, you to do it. You know, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see the Jews up at the wailing wall and they got the Bible in front of their hand and you see them doing this. You see them doing that at the wailing wall. Okay? The reason that they're doing that is so they don't go to sleep. 
If they keep moving so that they stay alert and stay awake as they communicate with God at the wailing wall. That's the reason they do that. He said, pray with your eyes open because when you talk to heaven, your prayer giving heaven permission is so powerful that the enemy does not want that prayer to go through. And so he's going to try to distract you from praying. He's going to try to dilute you from praying. He's going to cause something to come up to interfere with your prayer. You thought that was just chance or luck or distraction. No, it wasn't. It was a lion trying to keep you from being able to get a breakthrough that you've been looking for for so long that was already approved in heaven a long time ago. If the enemy is trying to distract your prayer, that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. He's trying to distract your prayer because that means that it's already been approved. It's already on the way and hell doesn't want you to get it because he wants to keep you from making contact with God. Somebody ought to be ready to talk to God. Somebody ought to be ready to find out what God has to say and throw it back up in his face because a lot of the stuff you're asking for has already been pre-approved. It's just that in the spiritual realm, there is the attempt to block it. But if you will persevere at the, at the Kairos time and specifically throw it back in God's face, he'll send the help needed to break it through so that you see it revealed in the physical realm. Well, amen, I tell you. Pray, pray according to God's will. You know, God speaks to us and pray His word back to Him and be on the alert and, and wait for your answer. He's answered a long time ago. He's just trying to get your word. You know what the biggest problem in prayer is? What, what do you think the biggest problem about people praying? Not praying. You know, good intentions. But uh problem is that we just, we don't pray like we should. And so this has encouraged me to even pray more, and I hope it has you. Shane, thank you for sharing with us. And uh, it's been a good study, um, been a great study. Uh, next week, I'll begin a study on uh, um, covenant promises. We're going we're gonna to cover it probably about seven and uh the main one we're going to look at in depth is the, um, the Abrahamic covenant. And so we'll deal with the, Noah, uh, the Enoch covenant, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, Mosaic covenant. You've probably heard of the, the Mosaic covenant. You've probably heard of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Uh, but maybe not the new covenant, maybe not the uh, Adamic covenant and so it's going to be uh, I think you'll enjoy it but the main thing is the Abrahamic covenant you we really have to understand that before we we have a complete understanding of the Bible like we should so be praying for me because I'm preparing it and looking forward to it and I hope you'll be a part of it uh, don't forget this coming Wednesday night we'll have our quarterly business meeting let me say this if you, uh, if you would like to write out a report for January, February, March uh, about uh, what, uh, what maybe Deb, WMU, about what you did in those three months, the WMU. So if you have, Corey, if you want to do something with the youth, January, February, March, um, feel free to do that. Turn it in. You don't have to come and give it, but you can turn one in. And uh, same way with uh, uh, Brotherhood. Brother Richard would like to do that. We'll have those reports turned in. But anyway, we'll have our, our business meeting this coming Wednesday night uh, right after our devotion time. And don't forget, Friday night, Secret Church. It's going to be good. Study of Jonah. Hope you signed up already. Invite someone. Bring a friend. You know, they, they may not can stay the whole length of time. You may not can stay the whole length of time. But come and stay as long as you can. And uh, I know you'll enjoy it. We'll have our fellowship with each other, and, and it'll be worth your time. Um, and refreshments will be furnished, plenty of coffee, and so we're going to have a good time.
Um, let's stand, and uh, we'll be we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a time that we can come together on Sunday evening for discipleship training. And Lord, uh, each time we meet, we do grow in your word. And Lord, uh, just, just basic Christian principles, Lord, uh, we come to understand. And I thank you for Shane and thank you for his willingness to, to take his time and Lord put the effort in studying and, and sharing with us. And I thank you, Lord, for for Dr. Evans, Lord, and Sharon. And so we pray, Lord, I pray personally that you would remind me through in your spirit to my spirit to just uh, to pray more. And, Lord, uh, I pray that I can uh, pray without ceasing, have a prayer ready at all times to utter to you throughout the day. Thank you for the ability we have to communicate with you and to talk with you. And so, Lord, help us, we pray, to fellowship with you through prayer each day. Thank you for our day today. And, and so, Father, I pray now as we leave this place tonight, you'll give us a good night's rest. And tomorrow we'll be able to face the world, understanding more about prayer. And, Lord, prepare us uh, as we uh, come in contact with those that need you. And, and Father, make us aware and let us have an opportunity to, to witness. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.